Hello, this is Rich. Just a quick note at the top to let you know that we had to split this very long episode into two parts. This is part one. You know, I go into some to the local arcades and like there's literally 10 people standing in line to play 10 games. So like there's 10 games with 10 people standing in line each game. And you're just going, you know, I haven't seen this happen on pinball machines. You know, this is like, this is crazy. You know, it's just, it was the, the level of addiction and mania and just like complete challenge. I mean, you would just give yourself over just like, you know, you'd give yourself over to Darth Vader and the dark side, you know, it was just your, your entire being would be subsumed by these video games. Hi, I'm Eugene Jarvis, creator of Defender and Robotron, and you are listening to the Ted Dabney Experience Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Richard May and I'm here, as ever, and always, with Retro Gamer Magazine's Paul Drury. Hello. And the author of Missile Commander, a journey to the top of an arcade classic, Tony Temple. Hello. For this episode, we talk with none other than Mr. Eugene Jarvis, variably designer and or co-designer of iconic arcade titles like Defender, Stargate, Robotron, NARC, Smash TV, and also co-founder of Raw Thrills Inc., whose product furnishes the vast majority of modern amusement arcades to this very day. Naturally, we talk extensively about Defender and Robotron, but of equal interest to us were the deeper cuts, such as Blaster and the unreleased USSA. It's become something of a running joke here on the podcast that we could actually compile a bunch of clips of our other interviewees talking about Eugene, so as not to bother arranging an actual interview with him. And in that spirit, Eugene doesn't really need this introduction, which should give the uninitiated among you a sense of his standing and reputation, not only among classic arcade game hobbyist circles, but also within the far broader pantheon of all-time electronic gaming industry greats. As ever, thank you for listening. You can find all the usual social media links at tdepodcast.net, and if you're feeling so inclined, support the podcast by buying as a virtual beverage, whatever you personally imagine as drinking, at Kofi. The URL for that remains ko-fi.com forward slash tdepodcast. Hi, I'm Alex Crowley. The Ted Dabney Experience is brought to you in association with the Arcade Archive, a classic arcade museum here in the UK. We're open every weekend in Stroud, Gloucestershire, where you can get hands-on with some of the greatest titles from the golden era of video gaming. Check us out at thearcadearchive.co.uk for more information and to book tickets. Welcome to the show, Eugene. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, Bear with me here, but we often gently allude to the fact that most of the folk we interview on the podcast 
just like all of us, aren't getting any younger. True. Which, which of course, speaks to our unofficial mission to preserve the voices of all the talented people who are responsible for so many of the classic arcade games that we all love and enjoy. But hang on, Eugene, we have it on good authority that we're lucky enough to be speaking to you in the first place due to all the many missteps on the climbing and hiking trips shared with your old colleague, Dave Sherman. So is that, is that the case, Eugene? <laughs> Are you lucky to be alive? Yeah, there was a few near-death experiences. Uh, Do tell. <laughs> I, I remember we were we were crossing uh, this one stream crossing comes to mind where we're you know it was supposed to be like six inches deep. It was about three and a half feet deep of full-on uh, mountain stream, freezing water. You know, maybe a good uh, hundred feet or thirty meters to try to get across with a very rocky bottom that was uh, kind of boulders and stuff. So, and the boulders sometimes moved. And, you know, if you happen to lose your footing, you're pretty much fucked. Right. And <laughs> somehow, somehow, you know, we're carrying these heavy packs and, and, you know, like swimming with like a 50 pound pack on your back. I don't know how that's going to work. So, um, so it could have altered the course of arcade gaming history there, Eugene. There, there may not have been any Robotron or Defender. Yeah, I think actually this was after that. So, oh, okay, was, so we did about Defender. It, oh, didn't, okay, it was, it was okay. didn't really matter. I mean, but uh, but uh, it, it was pretty wild. But it, it, you know, it was a fun adventure. I, I encourage anybody who wants to see some wilderness to get up into the Sierra Nevada mountains in California. Sounds good. Um, after after uh, Eugene, after a, a very brief stint wearing a shirt and tie for Hewlett Packard. I think you I believe you lasted all of three days. You got a call from um from Atari in nineteen seventy six and started working with the the aforementioned Mr. Sherman. Not in the video game division, we understand, but in the pinball division. Right. So have I got that right? Yeah. And uh you know, because actually before video games there was pinball, let's face it. <laughs> and, yes. And uh I was uh I've been playing pinball since I was about six. Um sneaking into different uh, smoke shops and uh, uh, this one particular place, uh, Johnny's Smoke Shop, had the, the best collection of, of candy, incredible candies. But but hang on, hang on. Sorry to talk over you. A, a smoke shop, is that like the, the American equivalent of a tobacconist? Exactly. Or license or, exactly. Yeah, okay. So they had cigarettes and tobacco. I mean, all things is addictive, you know, except for coffee. For some reason, they didn't. <laughs> No caffeine, just caffeine, just uh, nicotine and sugar. You know, it's like chocolate too, which right <laughs> and pinball, another addictive thing. What what games are you playing yeah. back then, Eugene? Just uh, it was like these old EM games. Uh, I don't even remember the name of them, but uh, mm. um, they were you know just had the good chimes that ting 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 ting, you know, and uh, you know pop 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 pop. I mean, it was it, it was it was great fun. Can you do that again for us, Eugene? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've got all police and, academy. And, and the cool police thing is, academy. we figured out um, the particular game, my favorite game that was in there. We figured out the, the there's a match at the end of a pinball game, and you know it's supposedly some kind of random algorithm, but I think it turned out it runs it it incremented off of the. 10-point switch, the 10-point switches in the pinball games, which a lot of rubbers, sometimes thumper bumpers would would score 10 points. Right. And so you could count, if you counted how many 10 points got hit, mm. you could predict when the, when uh, what the match number was and when your score, when the last two digits of your score, and the last digit was always a zero. It was just like a plastic zero, really. 
Um, mm. It wasn't even a, a score reel. Um, when your last digit matched the count on your third ball, you would tilt the machine. And so then you were guaranteed to get a match so you could play again. So you could basically play the game for hours on a, on a on a I guess in those days it was uh, I think it was like it was like a quarter I think for two plays so right, you could play right. you could play you know as as long as you could make the count and sometimes you kind of screwed up and you drained before the count was right and stuff so sometimes okay. you actually had to pay but it was pretty cool cheeky cheeky yeah. um, and, and and so so was this. Um... Was this in seventy six then, Eugene? You're you're Atari in seventy six. So it was, was seventy seven. Actually, it was January. Seventy seven. January okay. of seventy seven. I think it like January sixth. I think it was. And of course, you did start in the pinball division. Exactly. So exactly. D- d- does that mean you were you were you were, you were with the company when that department was first being set up? I was. Uh, you know, it, it probably it got set up maybe uh, six months before. Okay, it was, it was a new area and, for Atari, wasn't it? it was a big, yeah, yeah, yeah. May, maybe yeah, I don't know how long they took to design. It might have been a year. I don't know, but they were just starting to produce the games, and you know, they had all these innovations. They had these things called uh, rotary solenoids, and they had uh, uh, magnetic um, ball sensing switches, which. Interestingly enough, are actually uh, quite common today on a lot of the today's pinballs. They have magnetic ball sensing switches and they have magnets. At the modern games, they have magnets in the play fields that catch the ball and stuff. And uh, in those days, um, the idea was the um, uh, magnetic, uh, you know, the old fashioned uh, electromechanical blade switches Mm. or micro switches. Um, uh, you know, they failed, they got out of adjustments, they failed and so forth. So you'd have these magnetic, uh, switches in, in the, uh, in, in the drilled into the wood, just maybe, uh, three eighths of an inch or so below the, the play field where the ball would be rolling. And mm-hmm. so that was kind of a, you know, maintenance free, you know, and, uh, and these rotary solenoids were supposedly last forever and right. the, um, and they, well, they didn't, and they, right. And they, right. And then they had to display, uh, it was on the bottom of the game. So I guess, yeah. so the player could see the display and, uh, you know, it was much more visible. But the problem is you're pretty much looking at the play field. So you never really looked at it and nobody else could see it either. <laughs> so the, I've, got, and, I've, I've got to say whenever whenever I play pinball, it's yeah. pretty much the same deal even now these days. Right. But, <laughs> I can't, but I can't the, keep my eyes on. Right. But this bottom display, the, even the onlookers couldn't even see it because you're in front yeah. of it. And so, and they overheated and, and roasted. They caught on fire. The um, the uh, magnetic switches uh, were kind of had a narrow field of view. So a lot of times the balls would just go right by them. So they didn't really mm-hmm. work. And the the other problem was people would get a magnet. They'd put like a magnet in a pack of cigarettes, and they just start moving it around, and they it would just score like millions of points. And they, and so they, anybody could get. There's a fun in that. Yeah, anybody could get a replay on these games, so nobody was yeah. paying. And then um, the uh, this, these rotary solenoids actually, after no more than a couple of months, they the bearings would would blow out, and then all the all the ball bearings would come pouring out of the game. Onto the PC board, which they put in the bottom of the cabinet, and mm-hmm. and so all the uh, uh, you know course, the yeah, yeah, ball yeah. bearings and screws and whatever crap was falling out of the playfield, and you know what could go wrong? And, and what could go we're wrong? We're shorting out the uh, the PC board, um, uh-huh. you know, the bur- blowing out the processors, which you know costed like three hundred dollars a piece in those days. I guess they still do, but. <laughs> 
mean, right? Yeah. <laughs> at least, yeah. at least they're at least they're a half decent processor today. But so, so it kind of the whole thing kind of uh, didn't work. You know, the games were amazing. Let me tell you, the programming on these games was incredible because I did it. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> it just the whole the whole pinball thing. I mean, even now, just I mean, just speaking personally, yeah. it all feels a bit skin of its teeth kind of thing. You know, I mean, just the nature of the beast, isn't it? You have got so many moving parts. And, yeah, and and, and things I, that can yeah, go wrong. Exactly. And today, obviously, it's much. A uh, much better situation. Uh, they're they're mm-hmm. much more mm-hmm. reliable, but still, shit. You know, I mean, they've increased. The problem is, as they increase reliability, they increase the flipper power because it is yeah. more exciting to you know have some good flipper power. And then, so it's just the the more the more the flippers, you know, the more the that velocity of the of the ball. And that's a solid steel. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think it's what fifteen sixteenths of an inch or something uh, ball bearing. And uh, that thing rips the crap out of everything. And so there's still plenty of debris falling down there today, but they yeah. put the boards in the back box. So it's not a problem. But, but you know, we had a, I had a great fun with those Atari games. Um, had had the opportunity to work with the great uh, designer, Steve Ritchie, when he was still like a yes, yeah, a guy in the prototype lab and and worked on his first game, which was called Airborne Avenger. Right. And and we did some of the first, I guess the first, what you would call an effect in a game where it was a, a coordinated light and sound um, effect when you hit like a, um, a saturated your bonus or something or got an extra ball okay. or something. Um, so- you know, kind of pioneering some of these light effects and that, you know, today's games, uh, today's pinball games is incredible. They got, you know, RGB LEDs and, you know, just uh, incredible amounts of uh, lighting effects and sound effects. And obviously they have the display now is in the back box. It's a full color LCD um, yeah, TV, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Well, let's, Eugene, let's speak about sound because okay. we we believe you were particularly involved with with the creating of um of the sound effects for the, some of these pin tables um uh, i mean you, you get you gave us a an able demonstration a few minutes back right right um, right right yes yeah so yeah so i um well you know um at atari we had a kind of a primitive uh wavetable uh synthesizer and you know we could do um sine waves and square waves and a few other things and it was kind of fun. We, 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 you know, working with that, we were able to make some cool sounds. Um, but really, uh, it was when I got to Williams that um, we really had a, an amazing uh, uh, sound system, which, uh, interestingly enough, was just a uh, 6800 microprocessor attached to a digital analog converter. So right. basically, you just programmed your sound. So in theory, you can make any sound that ever existed, but... Um, you only had like uh, 512 bytes to make like 30 sounds. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. was, uh, so um, but, uh, you know, so and then later we had actually all of two kilobytes. So you really couldn't digitize everything. Uh, today you just, you know, get a microphone and, uh, you yeah. know, go and uh, or just, you know, buy a bunch of sound effects on the on the web and, you know, yeah. and yeah. Uh, um, get a sound effects a collection or something, and and you know you can get any sound you want, so it's no big deal. In those days, you actually mm-hmm. say you wanted to have a uh, an explosion, you know, you'd have to you'd have to say, well, I need an, you'd have to create an algorithm that would be you know maybe twenty or thirty bytes of mm-hmm. code, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. uh, that would make a uh, explosion. So. Um, 
you know, but it turned out you can make some really neat, uh, you can make some pretty cool white noise generators uh, with just a few bytes. And uh, um, so that that was fun. So, we, you know, we have the, you can make some great lightning and explosions and um, even did like pink noise and pink noise is kind of like the sound of a waterfall, you know, where white noise is like the sound of radio static, you know? And yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so we could, uh, you know, get some uh, uh, that, those effects and uh, we could do, um, uh, we had a really nice wavetable synthesizer mm. um, that would, uh, we could get up to set, it was a 72, 72 sam- eight bit samples. Uh, so we could make a really cool sound wave and that, with that, we uh, I worked on this game called Gorgar, and he had like a heartbeat. Ah, uh, yeah, I know that game. Actually, he spoke. That was the first game that uh, that used speech. First pinball game, maybe first video game that had solid state speech. And uh, and so I did this heartbeat uh, for Gorgar, and it was like. You know, you'd almost see getting like a coronary when you were like almost, you know, if you're about ready to get, you know, the triple bonus, like, you know, like you had to like defrilibrate up or something. I mean, yeah, we should have done a heart attack game, you know, it was like, well, I you gotta like hit the defilibrator, hit the defilibrator. It's like, some so some of those sounds are Eugene. They, I mean, some of those they're, they're very distinctive sound effects, and they, of course, yeah. kind of they, they they kind of um, what's the word? They were they found themselves in your in, in your video games too, didn't they? I mean, and and it was through. I remember playing Robotron and Defender, and then and then I discovered the pins you'd worked on. I was just like, wait a minute, what's what's and, uh, that's weird? Why, why does this game sound like Robotron? What's going on? Well, it was a, yeah, it was a pain in the ass because. Yeah, some of the algorithms we used was, uh, you know, this a, a wavetable synthesizer, you know, using different waveforms with a, a frequency table. Uh, mm. And then, um, which are kind of like notes on a piano, except they would be, you know, you'd go, you know, do do a new note every, you know, 20 milliseconds or something. So it'd be, that's how you got to get, get the, you know, you know, and uh, then you'd have, uh, we had a, um, this was really cool, is a phase, uh, kind of a phase shifting pulse width modulation routine that um and you could get like the most basic sound it's kind of like a saw it's kind of like wow wow you know kind of like uh That's pretty good yeah you know like something that saw kind of sounds and then uh yeah then it would be kind of like mosquitoes like beep, 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 you know and and then <laughs> but then it would be like we get all those cool like i remember the robotron or the defender free ship sound it's kind of like you know and the um you know and then i loved so uh, the first game that really utilized a lot of these sounds was uh, a game called Firepower. Okay. Uh, yes. Yes. Which yes. was uh, the, again a Steve Ritchie game. Uh, yeah. This was a, a really big game at the time. Uh, first multi-ball, solid-state game, and uh, and and it had this cool sound where you you had to like lock three balls, you know, to get this multi-ball, and and it had this huge thing, and and the locking sound was like, you know, like. You know, like, and it was like so cool, and uh, and that was the other thing we would do was, uh, you know, and, and there's a lot of dead air in a, in a pinball game, especially in those days. Um, just the balls, you know, they didn't maybe play quite as fast as today's games, 
And so you needed a lot of, you had to cover, you had to get a lot of cover, you know, sound cover for all this data. Mm. So, and then with the, you know, mm. some of the great, uh, you know, and they had what well, was a background sound. The weirdest thing, so you'd make these, I'd make these tables of, uh, basically it was all these parameters, which is, you know, how many echoes and, and, you know, how, you know, maybe there was a, like what they call a low frequency oscillator, which would kind of like step up the frequency every time it went through a sound. And, and you could create these, these, these really bizarre sounds in like, this would be like 10 parameters. And, uh, and sometimes you would just write, you know, you just, you'd start at some point, you're just running out of sound ideas. It would take like, I don't know, like almost a day to like make a cool sound. And so you try to accelerate the process somehow. And, and mm. I remember um, you just like people, somebody walked down the ha- hallway and just like, okay, give me 10 numbers, you know? Mm. You know, they mm. go, ah, 29, 36, 42, you know, like, and often, mostly time it would sound like shit, you know, it'd be like, Bleh, you know, but um, then so, I remember one time, uh, one, of, one of our uh, uh, female programmers came by, maybe, I guess our only female programmer. And and she said just zero 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 like and like who uh, Eugene sorry I'm I'm gonna gonna break into your flow here but who who was that um I who, think her name was uh, Christina D'Onofrio okay that rings a bell and yeah. we know it yeah 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 she did Mystic Marathon and exactly uh, oh, exactly yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Exactly. she's great yeah and she came by and she just said zero 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 and I go that's that's not gonna work that's bullshit you know that's that's undefined how could that work right I typed it in it was like the most coolest sound ever <laughs> it was like <laughs> you know I think I, it was like it was like you know like it was just something super cool and it was like wow man and uh so you know you so you had to really it almost took a day like to get a really cool sound sometimes. Mm-hmm. And Eugene, yeah. I mean, I think we, I think we kind of um, I mean, this is all fascinating, yeah, yeah, truly. Yeah. I, I, but I think we kind of we've we, we've moved all the way to Williams, and I just do want to take you back to Atari, right? Okay, um, for a second, and yeah. and Atari did produce some fine tables like the aforementioned aforementioned Atarians, and especially Superman. But but the whole division ended up being shut down in the late seventies. So what went wrong, um, Eugene, from your from okay. your perspective? Well, you know, and the, I I do want to uh, bring in uh, the table Time Two Thousand, which yeah. actually had two sp- kind of double playfields. It had two like sets of flippers separately you know uh-huh. it looked really cool it was probably the the worst playing game ever but <laughs> it was like a double play field in one yeah because uh, but anyway um yeah the, i think it was just too much uh it was like too much in, innovation you know without following you know like kind of you know I, I mean you've seen the classic i remember there was uh this 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 video game company called uh rocket uh rocket what's it like rocket science games or something or i forget what it was um rocket ship games or I don't know, rocket science games or something. And they, they raised like a hundred million and, you know, every, they said everything in video games was bullshit and they were going to redefine the universe. And of course they went bankrupt in about two years. But, um, right, right. and the same thing, you know, I think Atari, they had this kind of an attitude like, oh, these guys in Chicago, they're a bunch of, you know, stupid people, with, you know, doing all this old fashioned crap and we're going to refine, redefine everything. But they didn't do their homework. They didn't do the reliability testing. You know, they didn't do the... Uh, um, heat, uh, you know, heat, uh, measurements, uh, you know, right. um, burn in the game at, you know, hundred degrees centigrade or something. And they didn't stress test. For exactly. Games, did they? they just, they right. just, it yeah. was, you know, I think it was a little too much, uh, engineering by cannabis, 
and uh, <laughs> yeah. so you know it just so so they ended they ended up especially back then right, right. when they were doing pins right like, oh yeah, yeah. so the, so there's some great it was great creativity but it wasn't followed up with with good engineering so the games were not reliable although they were some really fun games but they just weren't reliable so tell I mean okay fine yeah I, I mean listen you've you've hinted at yeah. something quite interesting yeah. there. I mean, t- tell us about some of the people you work with at Atari. Uh, w- 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 were they your fellow engineers by by weed? Yeah. <laughs> Did you partake yourself, Eugene? Were you a... You know, I... I you were, the, were I, you a man of the bong? I guess I was going to take the Fifth Amendment on that one. Okay, the, fine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but we... Never know who's listening. We, uh, you know, you, you really don't want to... Uh, I, you don't want to get high while you're while you're coding i find that you pretty you find out pretty quickly that does not work you know <laughs> okay and, and you, you really like for every day you're coding on cannabis you need like a week off cannabis to, <laughs> to fix the bugs you know um but uh the uh, but i remember my buddy uh dave sherman uh, ah, i was just about to mention and, uh, dave go on he was in the video department and uh yeah. Um, you know, we, it seems the adventurous time, yeah. both in and out yeah, of work. Yeah, we were big, big hiking buddies and everything. But and, and yeah, he was yeah. doing hardware. He was a hardware guy, and yeah, um, he had this passion project uh, to make this boat game. And and uh, but this was early, so early. This was um, really, I think, the microprocessors were just starting to go in games, and yeah. So he had to do a lot of uh, like graphical effects and stuff in hardware. And I remember he was making, he spent six months making like this cool wake, like of a boat, you know, where you're going through the water and, and the wake, you know, the formation of the wake and how it dissipates and everything. And, uh, it was, it was beautiful. You know, it was, it was, it was amazing for that era. And, uh, I, I remember it was time for a game review. Uh, Nolan would come down, Nolan Bushnell. And, uh, and then the, the guy who are kind of, uh, um, taskmaster and uh, sergeant major of all, uh, Gene Lipkin. <laughs> Gene Lipkin, uh, yeah, yeah. And I think it was VP of engineering or something. I don't know what he mm-hmm. was, but uh, uh, maybe of, of all things. And uh, he was kind of the, the guy uh, um, that, you know, it's kind of where, where your dreams went to die, you know? <laughs> when, <laughs> this, is, this is what we've heard, yeah. It was, yeah. He was the Death Star <laughs> before there was a Death Star. <laughs> and uh, But, you know, it's... So he, you know, he came down and uh, he he tried. You know, Dave had worked six months on this thing, and and he and he you know drove the boat around a while. You know, maybe thirty seconds, and he kind of just turned to uh, Nolan and and like said, "You know what? I don't like boat games." <laughs> and, oh really? And that was it. And that, that was it's like I was going. Well, at least you could have told the guy before he spent six months making a wake that you didn't like boat games. <laughs> it's like yeah. And, and uh, so, um, but you know, uh, in retrospect, uh, you know, he, I, he was it was a necessary force to have uh, you know brutally honest uh, opinion, opinion yeah. sometimes, and and uh, I would say you know most of the things he canned uh, you know did suck you know, and he just he wasn't very diplomatic about it though. <laughs> <laughs> no, sure, it doesn't sound like it. And 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 Eugene, we I mean, I'm really sorry about this. So so apologies in advance, but it's obligatory on this show and also because Paul put it in the show yeah. notes. Um it's it's to ask every single fucking person 
we interview have they been in Noel and Bushnell's hot tub? And we don't mean just with <laughs> Noel and Bushnell because that might be slightly strange. But are, are, are you party to the Noel and Bushnell hot tub I experience in any shape or form? You are not I, taking the okay. fifth on this. I right? don't. No, I. You know, I, I. I wish I could take the fifth on this because I, I. It's it's legendary. But I. W- I was like this grunt programmer. You know. Right. Barely out of school, you know, and so you weren't the Eugene no, Jarvis back then. You were just Eugene I Jarvis. Was, I, I was not in the inner circle, so I wasn't. Fine. I never, uh, never, oh. never, never uh, got the invite. But right, well, we can finish the podcast now. <laughs> he was never in Nolan Bushnell's inner circle. That's we've got that on record. So, so basically, you've heard all you've heard all the anecdotes that we have heard, but you don't have any direct experience. Okay, we we you're just trying to paint a picture of Atari right, right, in those right, days. Right, That's all we do. Right. Um, and and uh, so Eugene, you, you're most associated, um, obviously, with Williams. Your games for Williams, and 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 and, and obviously for kids. And, and and later, you're you know the company that you you co-founded, I believe, Raw Thrills. Ra- you know, rather than Atari. But we noticed you attended the Atari 50th anniversary party last year. So. I mean, would you say your Atari years were formative, Eugene? And can can you sum them up in a few words? Can you can you speak to that? Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, I think I mean they had probably the most incredibly talented team of engineers, um, and they were they were really kind of light years ahead of the rest of the industry. And obviously, they invented the modern video game and and arcade video games and console. Uh, video games, uh, and obviously the 2600 yeah. VCS system, uh, you know, which which they brought out in uh, late 1977, you know, is the first console and uh, kind of led the way for generations and generations of consoles leading to the, you know, Xbox and PlayStation and Nintendo Switch of today. So yeah. uh, just incredible uh, creativity and uh you know uh, amazing 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 team and and they had a hell of a lot of fun too so it was kind of it was kind of this glorious day where it seems like today you really it's it's much more competitive today and you have to you actually have to work your ass off you know you you can't just come up with some (laughs) brilliant idea you know like you know paint the cabinet red or something i mean you actually have to work your ass off and it kind of sucks Oh, Eugene, welcome to the show. It's lovely to talk to you again. Um, before I get on to Williams, I just wanted to ask you one thing, is that we all know that Atari Pinball closed, but we also know that quite a few of its employees, including people like Mike Halley, moved into video games and had very successful careers. Why not you? Oh, at, at Atari? Yes. Um, well, I, I kind of, uh, partly I kind of bailed... Uh earlier than some of the other guys um okay you know because i mean basically i loved i loved working at atari and uh you know i loved i love the thing but the uh working in pinball um but i you know i could tell that the pinball division was failing mm-hmm. and uh my my uh good friend and uh uh creative partner steve ritchie ah, um, yeah. ended up going to chicago and and he and his first year there, he had this tremendous success with this game called Flash, oh, which right. uh, yes, yes. was just huge, huge hit. And uh, I think it sold like nineteen thousand games, and probably that, all all of Atari. Every you know, there's seven or eight models sold, maybe you know, ten thousand games or something. So, so you followed. So you sort of followed Steve. I just wondered that would history have been very different if you had moved in to Atari's coin op. Division. I mean, you know, 
would oh, Defender yeah. and Robotron be made, but they would have been made at Atari, I wonder. Maybe, you know, you never know. You never know, or I'd just been, uh, you know, some grunt uh, in the gears of the of the machine. Well, we'll they come had, on. They, had, they had so many, ta- they had so much talent there that, um, mm. you know, it was hard to, to break into that. You know, I'd have to work several years just to get a shot at making a, making a game. Actually, that's true, because I, su- I suppose by going to Williams, which might not have seemed the most obvious choice in terms of video games. It did make sense in terms of pinball. But I suppose it is poignant, isn't it? Because you go to Williams, who've produced like one video game back in the early 70s, a Pong clone, and yet you end up (laughs) producing some of the best-loved games of that period. Have you ever considered how... (laughs) fortuitous well, that is <laughs> it was kind of crazy you know and uh you know it, it basically um i mean sometimes there is an advantage to starting with a blank slate you know yeah um because obviously atari was they had their own systems they mm-hmm. had their own mm-hmm. way of doing things and you kind of locked into that and it was they were kind of the old school um motion object systems Right, where you had like these hardware motion objects, and uh, you could only have so many of them on the screen, and um, you know, so it was the the technology obviously was very capable, but uh, it wasn't uh, tremendous as flexible as say a more modern uh, memory map architecture. Okay, and so when we uh, coming to Williams, you know, after we had a lot of success in pinball, and um, Space Invaders, Invaders came out. Yes. And, you know, I, I'd never been totally impressed by the early Atari video games, you no, know, no, until, yeah. obviously until Asteroids, really, that yes. was the one. And I guess Breakout was actually pretty cool, too. But most mm. of the early games are very simple, you know, driving a car that was like a pixel, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, they were, still, you they know, were finding uh, their way. I, right. I get right. that. I, okay, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the tank games were kind of fun, and but they're, they're pretty simple games of that era. And yeah. so I, I still thought pinball was a better thing. So when but, you when you went to Williams, did yeah. you start by working on their pinball exactly. uh, tables? Okay. So yeah. So at what point did someone say, "Do you fancy a crack at these newfangled video games?" Yeah, I mean, it didn't really. It was. It was didn't really happen that way. Um, we, you know, we were I had a great. I had a really great uh, success with the Steve Ritchie game Firepower. Yeah. And. Uh, but at that point, Space Invader comes out, and mm-hmm. you know, I go into some to the local arcades, and like, there's literally ten people standing in line to <laughs> right. play ten games. So like, there's ten games with ten people standing in line each game, <laughs> okay. and you're just going, you know, okay. I haven't seen this happen on pinball machines. You know, this ah, is, like yeah. this is crazy. You know, it's just it was the like this the level of addiction and mania and just like complete challenge i mean you would just give yourself over just like you know you'd give yourself over to darth vader and the dark side you know it was just your your entire being would be subsumed by these video games and you've said that you grew up loving pinball so did you did you feel like oh well i'm gonna have to say goodbye to my first love because these are clearly the future did it did it feel like you were making a choice there um, in some ways, you know, and I didn't, you know, I didn't really think they were going to replace pinball, no. but I, I just felt this, like this was such an intense, amazing experience that I just wanted to take a crack at it. And the other cool thing was, you know, when you're working in pinball, the, the programmer 
in some ways is kind of a second class citizen to the yeah. the quote unquote yeah, yeah, game yeah. designer. Yeah. And so you could it was a chance to be the top dog, you know, to be the the big fish rather than the <laughs> you know, the loyal sidekick, you know. Yeah. You've you've mentioned more than once in this first part of us chatting that you call you call yourself a grunt. Was this was this you deciding <laughs> I don't want to be a grunt right. anymore? Exactly. And it's funny, at, at Williams we we had a term um for like a, a low level programmer was known as known as a subcoder. <laughs> Oh, and, mean, mean, <laughs> arrogant so, video game designer. Absolutely outrageous. So, but, it was, but it was, it was just like, it was like, oh, you know, that's, you had to start out as a subcoder. It wasn't like some glorified, you know, vice president of, you know, introductory coding. You know, it was like, no, you're a subcoder, dude. Okay. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I, I love, you've really given us an insight to the hierarchies there. Um, well, Eugene, we're about to come to the story. Um, which focuses on you creating one of the best and most loved titles of the golden age of arcades, which is, of course, Defender. Now, you have told this story many, many times, so I've decided to approach it with with a theme. And the theme is all the ways Defender could have been killed before it actually got released. Okay, so go with me on this, right? Okay. So first, this is your first game. You are a newbie when it comes to making video games. So it's like being thrown into the deep end. Yeah? And were you just expected to swim? And was there any point where you nearly drowned? Um, well, of course. Um, but, you know, it's kind of, uh, I mean, I just kind of, I kind of proposed it myself. You know, it's kind of okay. like, I got excited and I went to the the boss, uh, president of the company, Michael Searle, and, mm-hmm. and I just said, hey man, I, I, you know, I want to try to do a video game. And he's like, cool dude it's like <laughs> is it really that easy he's the head of williams and uh but I, I guess there was um they didn't have i guess they were under deep uh the bank was like Ooh, you know they had okay. some credit issues with the bank so okay. they i guess he asked the bank if they could do a, you know fund this video game project and the bank said hell no oh and so okay. he had he found this uh kind of semi-abandoned warehouse um, in, a, in another location in Chicago in a fairly rough neighborhood. And he right. he put the video game team there um, okay. so the bankers would never see us if they came inspecting. Okay, uh, so so that, that's one way that it could have died. The bankers could have called in the loan. So that I, right, I'm going with this. Right, right. So you're there. Now, we've, we've just said you're a newbie, but of course you, you're not the only newbie. I mean, this is a new department. So, I mean, was there much infrastructure there i mean did you have a decent sort of development system to to create their first video game so we were um you know had experience with the um 6800 programs uh program uh microprocessors and uh it's funny atari uses the 6502 which which probably was a better chip but somehow (laughs) we were stuck with the 6800 um but that was in pinball but for video, we knew we needed a higher powered processor, and uh, it, they just had come out with this thing called the 6809, yes, which was kind of the one. souped up uh, 6800. So um, it was really quite a bit more powerful, and so we went with that one. But um, so we had a team of, uh, we had a few hardware guys. It was a guy, uh, Kenny Fedesna, who was kind of the, the manager guy. And then there was uh, Chuck Blake, who did the uh, the hardware itself. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think, uh, you know, maybe there was some, uh, 
mechanical guy or cabinet guy or something. Okay, but these um, these these are all inexperienced colleagues as well. It's not as if you're joining, you know, an old hand right. like I don't know, you know. So is there some advantage in the fact that all of you didn't know what you couldn't do? But and some yeah, obviously, uh, and and so we we really didn't know shit about hardware, right? Um, and, and video game hardware, and and Atari had this very highly evolved motion object systems with hardware. Uh, you know, driven uh, object uh, processors and stuff. And mm -hmm. um, so we didn't know any sh anything about that. So we just said, the simplest thing is just screw it. Just make a, a giant memory map. Um, and, uh. and, and at the time we were thinking, well, should it be black and white or should it be color? Mm -hmm. and, and we're going, you know what? We think color is the future. And, <laughs> and, 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 and there was... Uh, well, uh, well was, done, you. What vision? Well done. I know it was. You have to have vision, you know, when you do something <laughs> like this. And uh, the I think at the time, like the Apple computer had four bits of color. I had two right. bits of color. I'm sorry, they had have four. Mm. Some I think Missile Command had four colors. Um, sorry, Missile and, Command is that? Yeah. is that a classic? I've never heard of it before. Is it any good? You've never heard of Missile Command? <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> no, it's. <laughs> Eugene, he's trying to be funny again and failing miserably. This is basically a joke at Tony's expense. Okay. Apologies. Tony's the world champion yeah. at Missile Command, yeah. which is yeah. not. Okay. It's, very, okay. it's like being the tallest dwarf. Right. So I don't know. I think, Let's wait, get no, back to Defender anyway. Right. right. Anyway, so <laughs> I think. Did, when did <laughs> Missile Command come out? I think it was. 1980, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, I guess it, so. actually, actually really Missile, Command, Missile Command hadn't come out yet. So. Yeah. Um, so we were one of the first. So we we went with a four bit color, which was sixteen yeah. colors, and and we you know we said okay, you're probably only going to need four eight colors, but you'll never need any more than sixteen colors. You know, so this right. is like future proofed <laughs> system. This Brilliant. could be for twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so we did. I did this first sixteen color system, and. Uh, and then, you know, made it a, because we didn't know anything at hardware. We just had a giant bitmap and it was like, okay, if you want to move objects, do it with your micropress. Do it in software, right? <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah. just do it in software. Yeah. And like, and like, yeah, okay. <laughs> How are we going to do that? Um, and at what point did you say, um, uh, let's make the screen scroll? I mean, presumably that's also slightly, um, you know, off-grid thinking, isn't it? Right. So um, that, you know, that happened a little bit later, but that was all software too. But so what what happened was we kind of got this bitmap going and, you know, worked pretty good. And uh, then it was like, okay, make a game, you know? Uh, <laughs> and, fair enough. And, and the problem, you know, when you're making a video game is that you start with a blank screen. <laughs> And it's that's like, scary, you know, isn't it? That's scary. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like a pinball game, you know, they bring you a play field. It's got flippers yeah. and, you know, slingshots and out holes and thumper mm. bumpers and all these things. But a, a, it just, you have this fucking blank screen. It's like, what the fuck am I going to do? <laughs> Taunting you. Know? you. Right. Yeah, right. It, it, it's, it was kind of scary. And uh, so I, I had my kind of like space invader. So. I'm just getting more kind of derivative, you know, it's like, right. when in doubt, like, okay, well, maybe, you know, Vice Invaders is great. What would be a better space uh, game? What would be the next level of Space Invaders, you know, yeah, yeah. that yeah. We'll, we'll call it Defender. And so I came up with this this early game where, in Space Invaders, you know, you shoot straight up with your yeah. guy, you know? And so this version of, of you know, now, now Defender, you run your guy back and forth at the bottom of the screen. 
And and then there would be three ways you could shoot, uh, straight out the top or 45 degrees in either direction, you know? And then, uh, you know, we kind of did it and tried it out for a few weeks. And it, it, I don't know, it just kind of sucked. <laughs> it was just okay. like, and I was just... It was just like, okay, well, this sucks, you know, and, uh, you know, what what do we do next, you know? And then I was thinking, well, let's try a game, you know, rather than being at the bottom of the screen, you're in the middle of the screen. And, and then you kind of shoot around to all the things around you, you know? Yeah. So you have kind of a, it was, the ship was basically a circle, you know, because that you could rotate it and if you're rotating a circle it looks great right you yeah. don't get all yeah. the the pixelation and everything so you had this thing in the middle of the screen and you rotate it around and you'd shot things and they were kind of coming at you and okay sounds a bit like asteroids I suppose. yeah it's kind of kind of a little bit yeah, and maybe derivative of that too i think that i think i did put some rocks out there actually oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah come on now right yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of like a, a rasteroids, if you. If oh, you, uh, oh, I like it. Yeah, it was okay. rasteroids, right. and and you know it kind of like the name. It really sucked. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and so is, you're being so brutally honest here. Is that first of all you had no plan? You were just right. like, well, I'll start. You know, it's a bit like when they invented cinema. Is that like, well, we'll just film. What can we film? Oh, we'll film theatre because that's the last media. It's like right, this sort of right. building on what we've done. So was there, a, I mean, it sounds like no disrespect. It sounds like you all going, this just isn't fun yet. Yeah, was, well, exactly. And, did, you, and we, did you almost we had, kill it? This, I keep going back to my theme. Of, well, did you almost no, go, scrap a space game. We need to do something else. Well, we know we still had about 10 months to go. So. Okay. Or maybe maybe nine and uh, and I was um, you know I had the name the first thing I came up with a name defender okay that's a that's a good and, name and so I, and I say well you know let, these games sucked I, I need to go back to basics and and so it's it's uh, we'll call it uh, the name is defender so you have to have something to defend right yeah and and kind of space was kind of in the in the you know everything was zeitgeist space, wasn't it yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah the Star Wars it was yeah you know, close encounters yeah yeah yeah, clo- yeah. well mm. you know maybe in a couple of years in the future it was close encounters but anyway oh, right. it was oh, it was right. space it was space so um, space invaders everything was space and and the cool thing about space is the background is black you know you save a lot of pixels you know and um, so it was kind of like okay you're you're in space and you need something to defend. And so, I, but yeah, and so you know, we had these little astronaut guys out there. Um, but actually, before we did that, we, we decided we were going to do this flying game and go oh, left right. to right. So, so there was another project. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So we decided, we decided, okay, we're going to fly left and right, and actually just left. Originally, it was just left, and you know, fuck right, you know, and. Uh, <laughs> Um, That's a political <laughs> statement thrown right, in. There. Right, do continue. Do continue. <laughs> yeah, I've so, never liked right. I've never liked right. So, <laughs> is it wrong? No. Yes, the, so, so um, it fly. So we kind of worked on this flying thing, um, and you know, just kind of, it would kind of be cool. You know, it's like asteroids. Thinking about it, I guess asteroids was getting to be a big influence. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, asteroids. But you're stuck on this little fucking screen. You know, it's like, yeah. that's no fun. So let's have like a, you know, it's kind of a scrolling universe. Mm. And it turned out, uh, I think, three three and a third screens or something. Because we had 320 pixels horizontal on a screen. Right. Yeah. Which was a big upgrade. Normally, it was only 256. So yeah. Yeah. we were giving 20% more pixels. That was... 
you know we could we could have charged 20 percent more but and 20 percent better yeah right so and, that's, that's exactly. how it works yeah <laughs> and so then you know three times that would be 960 and then there's this you know 1024 is a binary number yeah yeah and so it was three three screens and you know 50 pixels or something and uh and so it was like since i was in the asteroids flame of mine I, I put some rocks out there you know and had some rocks and they're out there and i think even shot if you shot the rock they turned into little rocks and okay yeah, you know, yeah. and, and it works. was it was kind of fun it was kind of fun and and uh but it's still you know so i'd bring people in like hey check it out you know you got rocks you, you, you know <laughs> and then we made this kind of planet surface and uh this little line because we didn't we didn't have the throughput to really make a solid surface so we just it was just a line and uh and you got this scrolling thing going and uh you know and then and then but it was still like it wasn't a game it, it just right. you know it was still like, okay it was okay just flying around in a circle so um <laughs> then it was like okay well we need something to defend you know like so the management came in and say you know it's kind of interesting but your game sucks and and uh, I say, okay, well, come back in like a month, and it'll be really cool. Right? Did you and... believe was that? Did you believe it would? <laughs> was... At this point, I had no idea. But right, okay. Uh, but I, I realized, like, it's defender. You need you need something to defend. So I made these little spacemen right. and dropped and... them. Uh, and it, it was kind of cool. In those days, um, it was before artists, and yeah. Yeah. we just made the artwork since it was just a few little, you know, eight bit type stuff it, it mm -hmm. all looked like crap so you didn't really need an artist like a programmer can make stuff to look like crap too you know and uh <laughs> so we made these little um we'd have graph paper and use colored pencils you know to, oh. <laughs> to color in the bits you know and then we just and we memorized we knew what the colors were you know like red was one and orange was six and you know green was seven and you know yeah. like yeah. you had so you just typed it in you know in the and the program memory, you just typed in the, the colors of the objects and every pixel. And yeah, the whole game, there was maybe, I don't know, 500 pixels. <laughs> you know, it's, it was well, it's, it's a very pretty game considering those those restraints yeah. there. Was there, exactly. was there a point where you went, now it's fun? You know, management, come back. We, we're not right. going to have a right. Gene Lipkin moment right. where he just right. says, cancelled, <laughs> right? Right. It was a bit where you think, right, this is all right now. Well, and that was later. But ah, <laughs> so, okay. so we, so I got the men out there. So then a month later, and I guess really I only, I got these men out there in a month. I don't know. Maybe mm -hmm. I was smoking too much that month. But, but <laughs> no, We've talked about this before. <laughs> That's why you need an extra week to debug but, it. Right? Uh, um, so, uh, but we had, the, and I was very proud because they'd walk around and stuff, you know. And, oh, uh, yeah, oh, sorry, people, they were moving at first. Yeah, then. most oh, right, people okay. don't. I mean, Defender players, you know, they're too busy, like, you know, eradicating the universe to notice these guys actually walk around, you know. Um, <laughs> it took me a month to make that happen. But, and they have to read, like, how high they are on the terrain. You know, they don't want to walk out into space, you know. They had to go follow right. the terrain and stuff. Um, so I got my guys walking around, and then management came back in, and uh, and they go, well, what have you done? In a, you know, last month, you know, like, dude, I got cool little space guys. And if you really look at them, they walk around, you know, you got to wait. You got to wait. Okay. Oh, he just walked. Look at that. And, and, uh, they were, they were unimpressed and right. <laughs> and right. I think they got, you know, maybe the bankers were on their case or something, but, uh, 
So I was kind of like, I, I was kind of pissed off. I was getting kind of pissed. Mm-hmm. And I remember I packed up all my shit and put it in a box. So and, so it could have, Defender could have been killed at this point. You could have just walked right. out. If I walked out with my box of my, you know, colored pencils and graph paper. <laughs> so I'm going to take my colored pencils I'm and I'm leaving. That's right. right. Um, but uh, for some reason, I guess for, you know, I was getting a nice paycheck. So okay. I never, colored I pencils, left. paycheck. You know <laughs> what? I'll stick it out for another month. Okay. I had to pay the rent. I had to Amazing. pay the rent. You've, you've alluded, because there was a deadline approaching. It's the, it's the AMOA show, I think, that year. Right. So you are working to a yeah. deadline. Okay. Right. So was that as that deadline's approaching? So, exactly. Yeah, so we were feeling? probably, we were probably like July at this point. Okay. And, uh, and then it's, I finally realized, and it's, this is like the stupidest thing ever. Um, a game has to have an enemy. <laughs> Yeah. You know, well, it's well like, yeah. yeah, it was like I yeah. finally got, I was sitting there like this is really boring, you know, like you're, you know, these guys are walking around, you shoot asteroids here and there, you know, like <laughs> it, it's it's kind of fun, but there's nothing, you know, and I realized like we need an enemy. <laughs> Like, right. So this was quite uh, late in proceedings, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, it was you were a new brilliant, right? Yeah, this brilliant uh, revelation, and uh, so then I I made the uh, the green. Uh, Landers, yeah, they yeah. came down and and then you know and I, and I realized you're defending these guys, so somebody has to come and you know and you know fuck these guys up, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's more need, like you, it. You yeah, got to defend it. these guys, you know, and, and they got to be evil. They got to be evil. They got to be, you know. So you need to get those emotions out there, and they have to kill you also. You know, it's like yeah, these are course, yeah. you know they're not counselors coming down to you know <laughs> to talk you into <laughs> mending your ways or something, but so. Um, so I had to, you know, have some evil out there. And, uh, and so, you know, basically they're attacking your humans and they're, um, and then they, they do this, uh, metamorphosis where they, they suck them yeah. up and then they turn into, you know, the dark side, they become yeah. dark siders, you know, cause they kind of taking the humans to the dark side and these things were called mutants. Yeah, this kind of it? human, uh, alien, uh, you know, so- so you're telling me that the, the fun arrives when you realize you need a bad guy. Exactly. And uh, and so all of a sudden, the game started getting interesting. And, okay. And, uh, um, and you had, and, and then the, uh, you know, and it's interesting, like the terrain, at some point, um, originally the terrain was fatal. So if you went flying and, yeah. you, and you hit the terrain, you would blow up. Right. And and I kept, you know, and had this kind of big mountain in the at the in Defender at one point, ah, and okay. and every time you hit this big mountain, you'd blow up, you know, and and I just realized like screw it, you know, <laughs> just you know, just let let you, you could fly anywhere you want, you know, you don't blow up, you know, just let basically an open play field, you know, and the only thing deadly are the enemies and the, are their shots and so forth. So basically, maximum maximizing the the play field of the game, the fr- you can yeah. go everywhere, do everything, and. And, um, you know, get the lasers, you know, originally it was like you had one laser shot (laughs) and then I was like, "Eh, screw that, you know, like, so four, I think four was kind of like at the point of almost, you know, overloading the processor. So what's clear here is that you, everything's organic here, isn't it? You're not looking at any kind of design document. Right, right. (laughs) All you've got to do is make something that's fun, but in time for this show right 
Right. right. So it was just pulling shit out of my ass. <laughs> well, <laughs> well there you go. There you go. What a, what a lovely image. What a lovely image. Um, now, I understand that as this deadline is becoming ever closer, is that you start going, right, I haven't even got time to let to save changes. It's, it's getting to, I'm just going to have to leave the code in, in memory and just keep sort of patching new stuff in. So I'm just thinking, going on the theme that Defender could have been killed. If there'd been a power cut right then, wouldn't you have been totally up shit creek? Uh, oh, you're talking about it the very last night. Yeah, just really right. getting to the, the point right. where you've got to turn this game out. Right. So in those days, it was a pain in the, like, to, to if you had to make an exchange, a change and go into the source code mm-hmm. and, and recompile the whole system, it would take like a half an hour. Right. So, um, we did this kind of a shortcut where you just kind of patch the code in memory at the time. And you'd, you'd make a note of that on a piece of paper somewhere. <laughs> and right. remember the next time you did a new source code, you could type in all those changes. Or you'd, you know, you'd maybe put mm-hmm. the correction in your program listing. You'd like print out your program. That was a big deal, you know. It was, that was, uh, we had paper and shit. And uh, yeah. so, so yeah. It, Old was school. Weird. it was weird. But um, yeah, so we were. I guess you're talking about the, at the final night we had actually final week we just yeah you know had all these patches and obviously a payoff a power failure would have taken down that memory and all those changes would have been pretty Don't much be- lost although I had notes you know here and there <laughs> you would have definitely pulled it out right so amazingly you do finish this game in time for the show right. and you burn right. the right. eproms yeah. I, I understand that even they didn't work first time. Right. And, it, and it's something, it's, it happened that, you know, we did this at like 4 a.m. in the morning, 5 a.m. So, I mean, who knows what happened? I mean, <laughs> your brain is very marginal situation. You know, I mean, anybody, <laughs> like, and this is why I say, you know, it was it was a big deal in those days. Like, people would go, I'm working all night. I'm pulling an all-nighter. I'm going to get this done. You know, like, and it was bullshit. It's like your productivity after like 12 hours <laughs> yeah. of work, your productivity is total shit, right. you know, and <laughs> and you're not accomplishing anything. If anything, you're screwing things up. And so God knows what happened. We still, you know, we, we, we something fucked up. Maybe we just bent a pin on a chip or maybe we, you know. We programmed one twice and forgot the other one. You know, just so many operator errors that could have happened. But anyway, we did it again and somehow uh, miraculously the damn thing. Now, we've already gone through the incredible amount of obstacles that could have uh, killed Defender before it gets to the show. But amazingly, it appears at the show. Hurrah! Right. Except the reception... And so it was pretty muted from the arcade operators. People saying, well, that's too hard. The controls are too complicated. Hang on. Could Williams have gone, ah, well, your first one's not always the best one. Ditch it. But they, Could that they, they were too hard up for cash. They, <laughs> <laughs> right. They, oh, yeah. they, they couldn't ditch it. But, um, yeah, it, it, you know, and, and to think about it, and I guess the game ended up being... It's interesting because we talked about elements of Space Invaders and Asteroids. Um, the game ended up to be kind of – it's kind of a mashup of the two because you're um, – basically you're, you have this up-down joystick, which in Space Invaders would be left-right. And so we just kind of flip Space Invaders sideways. 
And then the the asteroid element is the thrusting yeah, and firing fire, yeah. element, which is really from Space War, really. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, so you yeah. had the thrust fire. And uh, so it was, it was like right hand was uh, asteroids. Yeah, hyperspace as well. So yeah, yeah you exactly. got all of it in. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. And so it was kind of, you know, and it's amazing, like, if you, if, if you rip off just one person, it's a copy. <laughs> but if you rip off two people, it's a brilliant original yeah, you're stand, idea. You're standing you know? on the shoulders of giants <laughs> and, and, there. Exactly. It's, 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 it's your uh, original idea. So, and it was, and it, and it was yeah. brilliant. And it was hugely, yeah. hugely yeah. successful. But with that success for Williams and, and for you and your team, yeah. is sure. that money, swift expansion of Williams and you and Larry Dumont, we'll come to uh, to him as uh, later, is yeah. that you, you decide to leave. So sort of right at the, the peak of this, you decide to leave. Why? Well, that was a few months later. But um, I think uh, for, so, we, you know, we came, actually, I came back, I, I disappeared for like a month. Um, <laughs> exhausted. I assume I just, just exhausted. I just right? kind of took a break and I, I, I went off with Larry uh, and we... Uh, I had some fun at MIT in Boston. It was like minus 30 degrees, so it wasn't that fun. But uh, came back a, few, a month later. I didn't even tell him where I was going. I just said, you know, fuck these guys. And uh, <laughs> right. so I came back. And uh, and maybe because of that, they decided, well, this Jarvis guy, uh, you know, is kind of flaky, you know. So, mm-hmm. so we better hire a bunch of new teams, you know. And, you know, if some idiot like that can make a game, well, my God, we yeah. could hire like 30 guys and have 30 games, you know, because, you know, he was just a rookie moron. He could do a, a huge hit. We could have 30 hits, you know, hire another 30 morons. And uh, <laughs> so it, it it kind of, I think kind of, it, it you know, kind of uh, blew up and they had this huge video department. And um, so it was, it was, uh uh, you know, but it just seemed so impersonal. I was used to, you know, mm. I had my own little team and I was doing my thing. And that was like, mm. you know, there was like a million people and, um, yeah. and it, it just wasn't the like same. Right. It was getting bureaucratic, you know, and kind of turning into some ways a, a more hip version of uh, Hewlett Packard. So. <laughs> Which is exactly, <laughs> if, they, if they tell me to wear a tie, that's it. So they you, did, you, yeah. you leave but you know you right. don't leave to perhaps join another company go back to right, atari right. i don't know right, right, is right. that is that you decide to set up on on your own this is the the point where we must ask about larry demar is that right. so you clearly he had not only been a collaborator on defender he clearly become a good friend why did you think that you two would make a good team um we well, you know larry obviously he's a super talented guy um and actually, actually, he was my main collaborator on Defender was actually a guy named Sam Dicker. Oh yes, yes, I and heard that. Uh, um, and Larry helped us. Uh, actually, he helped out in the beginning. We created this really nice operating system. Uh, it was like multi-threaded. Um, you could do a hundred different tasks at once. It was really, really quite amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he and then he came. Uh, then Sam kind of took over the project uh, for, for, you know, eight or nine months mm-hmm. and uh, with me. And, and, and Sam was responsible for all the, a lot of the brilliant uh, explosions. In the game. Yeah, yeah. All those special <laughs> effects, uh, the terrain generation. Um, brilliant, brilliant uh, guy. And some of the sounds too. And 
and then Larry came back on the last day. He was working in pinball at this time on a on a game called Black Knight. Ooh, and yeah. then uh, he came back on the last is it, on that last night. Not only we had to get all those changes in there, but we actually wrote the entire attract mode and test mode. Wow, <laughs> which you you'd forgotten to put in. <laughs> right. Well, it's lower profile. I mean, I mean, the game is the most important thing. Right? Okay, I mean, it's fine. The, it's fine. the game, yeah. you know. But anyway, so we did oh, that. There was it was all written on the last night, which is. Which so is just, amazing, isn't it? Which is psycho. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Larry was an amazing, amazing programmer and still is. Um, so, um, yeah. so anyway, yeah. So Larry and I um, said, you know what? Let's just go and and uh, and we worked really well together. You know, we're kind right. of we just we're kind of a great team. And so we said, screw this, and we'll start our own company. You know, and and uh, you know, get out of this this programming bullpen, as it were. Okay. And you set up, I think you went, did you go a bit like sort of, you know, a lot of home coders? Didn't you just set up at someone's home? Was it Larry's home? Right, exactly. So we set up shop in Larry's, uh, he had a two-bedroom apartment. And so wow. <laughs> um, and in Chicago, he was nice. He actually had a view of Lake Michigan. It was kind of nice. Um, uh, 16, I think it was like unit 1601 in uh, 1660 North LaSalle Street, if you ever want to check it out. That's and, a bit of, there should be a blue plaque, <laughs> a blue plaque right there. That's amazing. And that's where VidKids, that's where VidKids right. started then. In that bedroom. And, and since we only had enough money to get a, a one computer, um, he programmed it at night and I programmed it at the daytime. Well, so they, it was, oh, what a team. There you yeah, go. So one was, was, was nocturnal. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, but what I'm mean, intrigued with this is that um, lots of people did program in bedrooms back then, but they tended yeah. to program for home computers or, or consoles. Right. Not you. You strike some kind of deal with with Williams. Right. Um, are you? Are you? I mean, did they pay you up front? Um, they did. They gave us, uh, you know, I forget what it was, but you know, hundred grand or something. And right. so we prom we promised them a. I guess it was, you know, kind of. Defender had been in a production for about nine months at that point, and so they, you know, they figured it was probably good for another three or four months. Yeah, and uh, ended up, I guess, ended up making you know sixty thousand some odd yeah. games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so it was pretty amazing. And uh, we, uh, so it was, you know, we kind of, they kind of, you know, they kind of recruited us, which was kind of cool. I felt cool. They. Drove us around their limo in New York City, and uh, we went to Times Square. To there was this famous uh, arcade called the Broadway Arcade, um, which which uh, this guy Roger Sharp and his buddy Steve S. Epstein hang hung out there. Um, Roger Sharp is in a movie now. Yeah, he's an amazing pinball player, isn't he? Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, um, anyway, so but I think they might have bugged that limo because I think. <laughs> They, really? They, they, I swear to God, we were talking about numbers and stuff, and then they we came back, and it was like exactly what we were talking about. Mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Okay. But it was it was a good limo ride. Okay. And, uh, yeah. uh, but so anyway, it was like, well, we need a game, you know, like three months, guys. Right. <laughs> so like, I, right, that is so tight. I presume you yeah. said, look, the only thing we can do there is some kind of sequel. Exactly, def defender. Exactly, which, which becomes Star Stargate. Now, obviously, right, that's out right. of necessity. But I just wondered, did you actually think this is this is an opportunity to address some of the issues with Defender, especially about people playing Defender for 
days uh, and also the kind of acknowledging how many people have become expert players so were you actually like you know what we could address some of the things that we we didn't with the original exactly and there's always like you know these stupid uh bugs you had or these inefficient yeah. routines and as and back in those days it was you really was struggling to get these games to run at, at 60 hertz and be very responsive and and so there was you know like oh man i wish i could redo this routine or that routine and and speed things up and so it was kind of like the uh, a way to you know go back in life and and make it right you know like mm. you know fix your screwed up life you I know wish, you one... i wish we all could do that <laughs> exactly that's, that's, yeah. I, I love that um you know? now um yeah. <laughs> i uh stargate is is a is a great game but of course didn't i mean didn't quite do as well, well didn't do as well yeah. as defender i just want to finish this section by saying right. do you have a favorite defender or stargate well i guess when i was working on stargate that was my favorite and right. uh and, and the coolest thing is is my partner larry he came up with this cool feature that was utilizing this thing called the Stargate, where if, I think you had to pick up four men or something, and then you could warp through the Stargate and you go to the uh, work, you warp ahead four waves or something. And um, so it was for expert, as you were mentioning earlier, it was for expert players to warp into the game, get into the more challenging levels, you know, and also kill them off sooner. So they would have more fun and the and the arcade owner would get more money. Yeah. So it was, it was like win-win all the way. And uh, so for expert players, I think Stargate is the ultimate uh, Defender-style yeah. game. With, mm. You know, and there's more enemies. There's all, there's all kinds of cool things in there. Um, but I guess as I'm, as I'm reaching my old age here... Um, no, it's, nowhere it's, near. Uh, <laughs> you know... Go forward, you know, uh, to the next millennia, and uh, you know, um, the uh, I'm slowing down a little bit, and actually, I, I've been I, for some reason it just targets too much for me to deal with. So I'm I'm back to defender, uh, and back to basics, and I'm still you know, and and it's just the it's kind of just the raw simplicity of just blowing the shit out of universe is appealing to me. So. I, 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 and I, on I that need... note, yeah, <laughs> I shall pass on to my dear friend, Tony. Okay. To be continued in part two. You've been listening to the Ted Dabney Experience Podcast with me, Richard May, Retro Gamer Magazine's Paul Drury and arcade blogger, Tony Temple. The show was produced and edited by myself with a bespoke score and sound suite by Ghost of Wood. Additional technical support by Jason Arbor.
Thank you.